one, two, five, nine. Prophet, preacher, servant, leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder, what the hell? Welcome to What the Hell is a Pastor, a podcast about life and set-apart ministry. Each week, we draw on our experiences and challenges as current and former pastors to figure out what the hell it is that pastors do and how to do it as best we can. Listeners, this week on the podcast, we have another guest with us. We have a fellow pastor of mine from when I was serving in Western North Carolina. Wayner is here to talk about how he got into ministry and what his ministry looks like today because it involves a lot more time on the river than you would expect. So, Wayner, welcome. Uh, Introduce yourself to our listeners in as much information as you want to share. Yeah, so uh, I'm Wayner really kind of that's a shortened version of Wayne Dickert, which is my given name. And uh, people have been calling me Wayner for a long, long time. And so um, uh, I am the pastor, uh, primarily the pastor of Bryson City United Methodist Church, a small uh, rural church, the only United Methodist Church in Swain County here in North Carolina. And um so it's kind of a fun little rural ministry, even though we are located on Main Street. I can still walk across town and get a bagel on the other side of town in about three minutes. <laughs> but uh, it is a beautiful area uh, located at the foot of the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. And uh, there are a lot of things to do in the outdoors around here, from hikes to whitewater rafting. It has recently become a hot spot for fly fishing, and uh, it's just a beautiful place to live. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I feel that I never really talk that up enough uh, on the podcast as I was serving, but like, it's just gorgeous. It's just a beautiful place to be. We have a we have a guest on the podcast who's been on a couple of times who works out in West Virginia and really loves loves the mountains, loves the outdoors. Uh, and so it's that kind of that nature aspect of it, I feel only adds. So, yeah. Um, so, Wayner, I'm going to go ahead and give away part of your story. You did not start off life knowing that you would be a pastor. So can you tell our listeners uh, how you ended up? in in the pastoral process and the ordination process and and where you're at now well um i um uh, i worked at a, a big whitewater company for years and years and years and years teaching uh, uh primarily teaching canoeing and whitewater canoeing and kayaking and some raft guiding and other outdoor uh adventure activities um and the church that i attended um uh, I was a small group leader for the youth group. It was a big enough church to Ooh. where we had um, like four youth groups, a junior high boys and girls, senior high boys and girls, and then a Mom. youth minister. And I was the senior high boys leader and loved it and loved working with the youth and doing all kind of events. And I had two youth pastors that said, hey, have you ever considered going into the ministry? And I says, nope. Are you kidding me? You see what kind of gig I've got going on here? And uh, I I was uh, working uh, at least part of that time. I was the National Slalom Development Director. So I would travel around the country setting up um, uh, whitewater racing uh, venues and developing kids programs, do uh, coaching for 
uh, for youth program coaches and, and that sort of thing. So it was, it was pretty cool at the time. And I just loved, and some of the kids that were in my youth group at the church were on various national teams and stuff like that. So that was kind of cool too. Yeah. Do you ever, um, do you ever miss that kind of traveling and, and starting? I mean, you, you start new projects. That is a thing that you were good at doing, but do you <laughs> miss that kind of going everywhere and that really big picture thing? Oh, I have begun to travel a little bit more with uh, church activities, but uh, and and um, to be picked up a little bit later when we start talking about the River of Life is uh, um, I enjoy going to doing trips down to Haiti now. So uh, I've got some friends who are down there, and so I love love seeing them when I can, but it's been a rough few years down in Haiti and with COVID there hasn't been much travel. So. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely want to get into river of life stuff. Cause I think that's just, we often talk about uh, doing the, like the right way to do this kind of quote unquote mission work. And I think that river of life does it right. Um, but okay. So you had been working at this with this youth group, but also had this other great job that you were loving what shifted like what what kind of got you in with your foot in the door for ordination well one of the youth pastors just kind of fanned the flame hard enough to where i thought well you know what i could see myself being a full-time youth minister and doing that i never imagined being a senior pastor at a church um i was full-on wanting to go into youth ministry i loved working with kids uh uh, in college, I thought that I would be more of a camp director uh, than, uh, you know, working in uh, church ministry. But um, that I ended up going another way in the outdoor activities. And so um, uh, so then when I was able to to do youth ministry in the church, I just I just really loved it, loved working with the kids. And so I just, again, never imagined myself uh, being a, a pastor of a church. And um, so when I was talking through it with our youth minister about what I should do in the Methodist church, there's a couple different ways that you can uh, approach uh, that beast if you're going to be a, a youth minister. And, and so uh, uh, I could have been a, a local pastor or I could have gone uh gone down the deacon route or I could have gone the elder route, which were kind mm -hmm. of the three ways to approach it. And I decided at the time that uh, I probably would just go the elder route. Um, and I just felt like uh, I did not have a strong uh, biblical study background. And so I felt like seminary would help me develop that side. Uh, helped me kind of understand uh, theology a little bit better. And, and so that's uh, what I decided to do was go down the, the elder route. And so then uh, I became a local pastor for a little while. I, uh, you know, did other ministry before that. And, and, um, and then the church moved me into uh, a supporting role here in Bryson City uh, as a, as a part-time pastor to connect me with the church. And they, they did that around this other ministry that I had started as, uh, what 
what the Methodist church calls a, a lay ministry. In other words, I wasn't a pastor, but I wanted to start another ministry. And that's um, what we talked about earlier was the river of life. Mm -hmm. And so that really came about uh, for me sitting down, talking with the, the president of the Nanahill Outdoor Center and uh, to kind of uh, explain the, the context uh, of the Nanahill Outdoor Center and river people in general is they are some really, really good people, but tend not to, uh, to uh, want to be involved with any kind of organized religion, especially kind of Christianity organized religion. Hmm. But, uh, but at the same time are, uh, I think really drawn to by the Holy spirit into, uh, living, uh, spiritual lives that are, uh, serving and ministering to the world. And so, uh, all that background said, I mean, if you were going to ask somebody over at the river to go to church, pretty much all of them are going to go no. And so um, when I pitched the idea to the president uh, that maybe we could do a, uh, a little Riverside ministry, a little Riverside kind of a church, uh, I knew what the answer was going to be. It was a rhetorical question, right? You know, mm -hmm. for, within that context. Because when you say something about setting up a little Riverside church, the answer is going to be no. Well, for some reason, he said yes. <laughs> went, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do now? And uh, so we set up this little Riverside ministry, and uh, it was pretty cool. A lot of people came to it, and uh, it, it grew, and people that were uh, anywhere from Christian to, to atheist would would come to it and and to join us beside the river. They enjoyed uh, hearing stories about Jesus and uh, just being able to uh, be uh, in spiritual growth by the river. And so that was a, a really beautiful thing. And so I remember after my first service, one of the things that, uh, it, and, and it didn't really cost anything. We were using the NOC facilities. I did it and you know, it was all good. And some folks had even given us some Bibles to use and some other things. So we didn't really have any expenses. So some people came up after the first services, Hey, we want to give you some money. And I'm like, wait, we don't No, We don't need any money. What do we need that for? And, um, and they're like, no, no, we really want to give you a love offering. I'm like, ah, you know, and I did my best to talk them out of it, but they finally were insistent enough to where I went, okay, I'll take it. And um, it just felt like it was one of those things that it was God led because um, this ministry was born up out of the water that we never could have imagined. And mm -hmm. since it was born out of the water, why not take the money that people were giving and putting it, putting it into water resources uh, around the world? Yeah. And so we would just look through the the little like World Vision catalog and. Uh, at the end of the season and, you know, this, we've got this pile of money here and, and uh, literally a pile of money on the desk or I don't know. But anyway, so we had, uh, we had some money set aside for it and just went, Oh, we could buy that and that and that and that and that. Okay. That. And so then we just told everybody how we spent our money and everybody went, Oh, that's cool. And so we went along with that for, uh, for two or three years. And we'd always look in these magazines and go, 
man, wouldn't it be cool if we could get one of these community wells? And mm. uh, those rascal, rascals cost about $8,000, you know, just for a basic community well. We went, man, there's no way a bunch of dirtbag boaters are going to be able to afford an $8,000 well, man. Right. But one of these, wouldn't it be great if we could do that? And and then one day um, uh, we uh, met uh, our district superintendent. His uh, wife was the uh, the director of the missions for the Western North Carolina Conference, which is where I served. And she had a connection with a doctor down in Haiti and says, hey, you know what? We could get you a well for $2,000, you know, or if you had $2,000, we could put in a well. And I tell you what, if you raise $2,000 to put in a well, we'll match it with conference funds and put in another well. And it was like, oh, the fire was lit. Then it's like, we can do this. And so then we got everybody fired up. And so then that first year, uh, we raised enough money for two wells and then they matched a well. So we had three community wells and we just thought that was like the coolest thing ever. And everybody got super fired up about it. And here we are about, uh, well, actually it has been about 10 years at this point. And we've put, put in 135 community wells. Um, wow. We have been able, and Dr. Eugene is who we connected with down there. He started off w- working out of the back of these little shacks you know, providing these small towns with uh, some uh, medical aid sort of thing. But his big dream was to build a hospital. And so he he has since built that big hospital, which uh, serves about 200 to 300,000 people in, in rural wow. northern Haiti. And um, so we were able to provide uh, wells, uh, pumped wells. It's our only pumped wells. Everything else is kind of the manual pump that you see the kids out back just you know, hammering on the little handle there. And, but these are uh, electric powered pumps uh, to the hospital and water towers and, and, you know, all the stuff that you need for water resources in the hospital. And so uh, being a water people, we really connect with being able to do water resources, no matter what, how that plays out. And, you know, have done a lot of um, water resources for um, a water for, water purification, like when hurricanes come through and just other things like that. So uh, it's been really cool to have that connection with folks down in Haiti that that came out of that river of life ministry that we never could have imagined. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to pause on river of life because I have a, about a million questions and I'm going to mm-hmm. try to narrow them down. Um, but I also just want to say, like, what what has always really struck me about uh, the well ministry that you do alongside River of Life is exactly what you say, that, like, you are water people and you know that, like, water is is key to how you connect spiritually with God, with however people would want to define it, right? And you mm-hmm. know how essential it is. And that went from, this is something that we feel personally deeply about, to we know someone locally who um, knows exactly what the need is and where the need is. And we, can, we can't do everything. But one thing we can do is help give water. And we know that's important to us. And I, yeah. that's what I find... It is most important about like sustainable ministries is that you know the thing 
you know what's important to you and you know how to translate that into growing relationships with others. Um, and that's always, that's always really stuck out to me about River of Life. Does that sound right to you? Does it sound like I'm making up something more holy than it is? No, that's absolutely the case. And I mean, water is life, right? To all of us. And uh, one of the beautiful things is, is that's how we remember our own baptism into God's love is mm -hmm. uh, through the, the wells down in Haiti. And I remember the first time for the first wells that we put in down in Haiti, I, uh, I, I recognized how, how cool it was. And I was down there with Dr. Eugene, Dr. Eugene took us up to, you know, it's up on a, on a mountain to a mountain community. And, and so, um, uh, he taken us to see one of the wells that we'd put in. And so there we were, you know, it's kind of a picture opportunity. And, uh, so Dr. Eugene was back, uh, pumping the, the handle of the, the well. And he says, stick your hands up under the well. And I went, this will be so cool. You know, it'll be a fun picture. And the second that that water hit my hands, I was just overwhelmed because it was at that moment, I recognized that this truly was life for those people. Hmm. And uh, not only was it life for them, but it was life for us who had been part of that. Mm -hmm. And, maybe even more so because uh, <laughs> it's funny. We, we think we go into ministry and we do missional work like that to, to save the world. But then we find out that uh, the world is really saving us through that ministry. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that's something that we find kind of over and over again with when we are connecting with people whose situations are just very different from our own is mm -hmm. that um, it helps bring that that perspective that we have completely forgotten or just blind to. It really opens our eyes to some of that. Um, yeah. So I want to I want to jump back to the very beginning of River of Life, uh, mm -hmm. which you started as a lay ministry. This is Ethan's favorite thing: is he mm -hmm. he is perpetually saying uh, if he wasn't a pastor, he would just be a lay person and he would just do what he wanted because what are they going to do? Stop him? You know, <laughs> we love it when laity do things. That's exactly right. <laughs> He usually says it a little bit more like, I'm going to start a Bible study and teach what I want. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, Wayner, what, how, how did you, like, really, where did this idea come from that, like, that people, that it would be good to have a church? And, like, what were you... What were you envisioning with this ministry? Was it really just, I want to hold space? I, I see that people are kind of spiritually connecting and I want to help foster that. Or, or was it like a vision that you felt like it would be nice to have a worship service to kind of formalize what I'm seeing people doing? That's like, I, I bet that there are people out there who are like, I love this thing. It would be great if other people could love this thing. It'd be great if this could connect to my faith in some way, but I don't know how to do it. Do you remember how you did it? Yeah. And it's, uh, again, the uh, river people tend to think of the river as church. I mean, that mm. is the church and uh, nature is their spiritual connection, their God, if you will. Uh, wh whereas, uh, my understanding of it is 
the God is the God of creation, uh, which is a beautiful thing. And it's a way that we all connect, uh, I think, with God better. I know I certainly connect with God better in the outdoors than I do indoors. And I, I think that's true with a lot of people, although not everybody. Um, as we, we figured out during the uh, uh, the pandemic, because we had to shut down our indoor service and all of our services ran through uh, the river of life out by the river. And you know, we certainly had people that would show up out there um, that were part of more of a traditional church setting that got there and went, oh, this isn't church, this doesn't count. And so, uh, <laughs> There's no cross up anywhere. How can it be church? <laughs> man, I think, you know, so it's a, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I get it. A lot of folks, it's, it seems really kind of out there, but for, for a lot of river people, it's a, it's a way to connect with God. And, um, uh, and then oftentimes we'll still go out on the river after the river of life service. So we uh, spend time in worship and then we also go out and uh, engage uh, with our faith on the river. And so, um, you know, in, in building relationships and all that. So I, I think that it's uh, a great opportunity to do that. And so I originally, my original reason for trying to start the thing was that there were some folks that had been involved in uh, church ministry before or youth ministry or camp ministry. And, and here they were kind of playing through uh, the Natahale Outdoor Center or other outdoor programs. And they says, yeah, I just kind of drifted away from, you know, the church and, you know, having a, a close connection with God. And I, went, I understand, buddy, I understand. So what if we had this? opportunity to connect with God more out here by the river. And uh, a lot of people gave feedbacks like, yeah, I think that'd be really good. You know, I would really appreciate that. So really it's a little bit more of a, to me, of a calling folks back in new and fresh ways. And so that's why um, many people think of it as being one of the first fresh expressions that are in you know, that was in this country, you know, as like a, a fresh expression. And so uh, for the, the Methodists that know Bishop Carter, uh, he often refers to the river of life as the first fresh expression he knew of in this country. Uh, it was fresh expressions were born out of Great Britain, but uh, the river of life was the first one that he knew of in this country that functioned as a fresh expression. Although there's so many ways to do ministry that are non-traditional. Now, I think we could look back and go, wow, okay, those guys would really be kind of a fresh expression. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what the other things that, that people have going on. So, um, you know, it just happened to, to, to play out that way and, um, and become, I mean, I honestly, when I started, I didn't know what I was doing. I just, I had a passion for Jesus and I had a passion for boaters and, you know, boater people. And <laughs> mm -hmm. so, uh, and being on the river. And so why not be able to do all this at the same time? And, and I think there are other people that felt the same way. So it's, uh, it's really cool. Yeah. What, what comes to me out of that is that, um, 
it's almost like all of the connections were already there, just like waiting for the right person to activate them. You know, there were people who who already had a, a background in Christian faith and knew that like that was something that was good for them and they wanted back. They just didn't want it in the way that it had been presented to them. And you already had this other this other thing that you're you're building community around you already have a community around with the river and so it's um i think a lot of people think of new ministries as something that they have to invent like completely whole cloth but the fact is we live in the united states well most of our listeners live in the united states which is already a christian country we already have people already have that background i mean many people at least in in the generations that are around right now um, that are still growing up is they have some memory of what it was like to be in church and they have a positive or negative or mixed impression of it. And there, some people are just like, they feel that kind of lack like that, that, that there was something there for them, but they mm-hmm. really want, they, they need it in a different way than what it was. Cause what it was, wasn't working for them. Um, and that, that's what kind of strikes me about the whole story of the River of Life is that there, it was just ripe. It was a really ripe mission field, right? Like, and you were just the perfect person to say, this is this is something that I identify and I can like carry this torch through. Um, and it just, it kind of, it always amazes me how all of those pieces just kind of come together to make it. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I think more and more uh, what we're calling... Uh, fresh expressions of church uh, become more relevant because there are a lot of people that don't want to be part of an institutional uh, religion for for whatever reason. And uh, (laughs) I mean, that's kind of the beauty of it is is that uh, a lot of times it's whatever you're passionate about. If you've got a shared passion uh, for Jesus and then a shared passion for like going hiking, you know, there are hiking churches and, mm-hmm. and just have a good time together and, and talk about life, talk about theology, talk about God at, at various levels. And of course it's like church. Some people go deeper than others, but everybody grows just a little bit, hopefully from, from that experience. And so it's, uh, it's fun to kind of see how it, how it plays out. So if, if there is a, a passion that you share with somebody else and there's already a venue for that something else out there, then it's pretty easy to, uh, to build a ministry around that. Mm. Yeah. So, so how does being an elder help you with the river of life? (laughs) I'll tell you, I think it makes it harder. Uh, (laughs) No, I'm, (laughs) I can believe that. Not 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 necessarily because I'm an elder per se, but because of the other responsibilities I have uh at Bryson City United Methodist Church. Mm-hmm. And that to be a pastor in that traditional setting is as you know so all-encompassing and time-consuming what happens is is then I get pulled away from the river and I don't have time to spend in relationships with the people at the river. Mm-hmm. In fact, several years ago, I, and I noticed this because when I started River of Life as a lay ministry, 
I was still working full time in the outdoor industry and, and teaching kayaking. And, uh, and so I had these relationships that were bound up through the river. And so then all we did was get together and talk about Jesus some. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas now, or, or yeah, now as a full-time pastor, it makes it harder because so much of my time is away from the river that I noticed those relationships weren't as strong as they used to be. And, um, probably about four or five years ago now, uh, I decided that, uh, I needed to change that. I needed to set time away to make sure that I go to the river, make sure I'd spend time with people, spend time with the river people, or this river ministry would not be irrelevant because ministry is about relationships, right? Mm -hmm. It's about, uh, seeing a need, building relationship, and then growing in relationship together, growing in love together and growing in love of God. I mean, that's kind of what it boils down to, to me. And so if you're not able to be in relationship with uh, the folks that you're really wanting to minister to, you're not going to be very effective at it. And right. I was seeing yeah. that. I, I saw that in myself. And I, and so I asked the church, I says, uh, the, the, the traditional church here in Bryson City, I says, hey, this is what's going on. I need to be able to take at least one Sunday a month and spend all day at the river. And so the, and they're like, oh yeah, we get that. And it's like, we'll find somebody to fill in for you. And <laughs> if you right. can find somebody to fill in on, on the Sundays that you're gone, then we're cool with it. So I went, all right. And um, so now the last Sunday of each month while the river of life is going, which is five, it's the tail end. So it begins the on Memorial weekend, which is the last weekend of May, and then goes through the last weekend of September. So it's really kind of a, four month chunk, but you pick up at that extra day, that extra Sunday at the tail end of May. So it's five uh, Sundays where I just stay at the river all day long. And, uh, and that's, that's definitely helped. Um, It's still not as good as it was, I think before, you know, because again, those relationships were, it was just a daily relationship with, with people, with a lot of folks. And now it's a, Oh, Hey, I'll catch you on Sunday, hopefully, or I'll try to, you know, so it's a, uh, the relationships aren't quite as deep as they used to be, so to speak at the river. Um, and, and the, the, uh, that particular ministry too is a transitory ministry. Even when, when it was, uh, I was living at the living and training and, all that, the river was kind of my primary part of life uh, in doing ministry then. Uh, still, it's a transitory group. I mean, it's a tourist destination. So people would show up and go boating and uh, go to the river of life and that sort of thing. And uh, so that that worked out uh, pretty well. But a lot of times people wouldn't come but once or twice a year, you know, even though we, they would come back every year, it's like, Oh, we're going to go to the Nanahila and we're going to go to the river of life. And so we'd see, you know, people every year for 10 or 15 years sort of thing, which is pretty cool. Yeah. But then you, d- you know, we had a core of about 
half dozen or maybe a dozen year on uh, a dozen people on a good year but then you would have other people that were there on a semi-regular basis and then the uh, people that would show up once uh and then people that would show up on a regular basis year after year after year but uh it was not uh, a strong core group of folks which is pretty unusual for most ministries i think even fresh expressions ministries. Yeah, that's what that was something that I always kind of remarked on uh, when I was serving is that we would have our biggest congregations would be over the summer, which is the opposite of like every other established church. But you just have you have your Florida people who are up here for the summer and they go back down for the winter and you you like you build programming around the people that you have. Uh, yeah. But it does make the resources that you're looking for a little more challenging to find. Um, so I want to I want to linger on that relationship building piece of it. Mm-hmm. So Ethan, have you found that in you're a part time person now serving two different charges? Are is the depth of relationship that you're able to build different than it was when you were full time serving before you went back to grad school? Um, I would say that now as a part time person. Um, the depth of relationship, I, I, I think my situation is just a little different because, yes, I'm part-time here, but I'm full-time, you know, in, in so many other areas that, like, mm. I, I'm just not able to um, be available to the congregations in the same way as maybe a full-time pastor would be able to. I've still been able to, like, form relationships, and and those are really important, but... I wouldn't say that I'm as close with these congregations as I was when I was full-time in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Do you think that that's just a result of, of not having the time? Like, do you think the time is really a limiting factor? Um, I would say it's probably a limiting factor. I think it's, it's more that I'm, I'm just so spread out. Um, mm. This is my first two point charge. And so it, it also could be, just that I'm, I'm not, I haven't figured out how to really do the two-point charge yet, where where I can really be available to both churches in a sustained way. But like, I think it's more that not not only am I part time, the me being in school for the degree and and um, living, you know, needing to commute into the into town, I think kind of limits my ability to form relationships like i my instinct is to form relationships really spatially by you know going Mm. to places in town and and having people know who i am in those ways and that's just not the way it is you know i'm i'm basically a name that that shows up a couple of times a week you know yeah yeah and that's that is so different from when you talked about your ministry in Kerwinsville and also really different Wayner from like the way you are Bryson city. Like I feel like everybody knows you (laughs) and you like walk down main street and you could stop and say, Hey to people. But I also feel like you have the, the core people at Nana Hala too. So what was the, like, I think that you've built a great ministry in Bryson city and I don't want to knock that at all, but it seems to me that like, that um, you were building this kind of bigger thing at the river. What was the motivation for then getting you looped in as an elder or getting kind of connected to Bryson City, knowing that it would take you away from this ministry that you had started? 
Well, uh, at, at the time, it was a way that we could keep me involved in the ministry. So that was actually oh. pretty cool. I mean, it was <laughs> very un-Methodist-y, um, certainly at the time, because um, mm. basically what they did was is they they did two things that were a little unusual. First of all, what they did uh, in the church that I was attending, even though I was in the area— um, I s- still attended church probably about a 20, 30 minute drive away uh, that was big enough to have a big youth group and all that. So I drove to the next county over to go to church. And so what they did was, is the pastor here was looking at retirement. And so the, the district superintendent says, hey, why don't we put you in as a, as a quarter time uh, non-paid, <laughs> uh, <laughs> associate minister, you know, which Bryson city isn't big enough to have really an associate minister, but, you know, I'd kind of help out here, but the primary, uh, my primary duties would be to do river of life in the summertime and then to connect with the people in the wintertime. And I would, uh, preach once a month and, you know, do other ministries here in Bryson city, uh, and really, it was kind of a test run just to see if I'd blow the place up. <laughs> <laughs> and um, with the idea around being, um, well, hey, is is this person going to be a good fit? If he wants to do the river thing, is it going to work for him to be a pastor in Bryson City, too? So it was a bit of a test run. So that was a unusual in itself. And the other part uh, was that then the next year, the senior pastor did retire. And so they just moved me into that senior pastor or pastor position. You know, there's no real senior pastor. I'm senior, junior, you know, third cousin, (laughs) the whole nine yards. (laughs) So, you know, it's like, uh, you know, being the only Methodist church in the county. It's like, are you are you pastor of uh, First Methodist in in Bryson City? I'm like, yeah, first and last. (laughs) Mm hmm. And so that's uh that's our little rural town here, but we love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I kind of see how that works. That like it's one of those things where the um the solution makes sense, but also in like informalizing it, you lose part of what made it made it what it was in the first place. Yeah, it's it's true. It's uh it's kind of a tough situation. And so, you know, um, I'm, I'm fairly involved with the Fresh Expressions movement within our conference and, you know, certainly our, our district, kind of our more regional level. Um, and, you know, people will say, hey, I, I'm not a pastor. How can we get our pastor to do ministries like that? It's like, it's way better off if it's lay led than if it's, it, than if it's uh, pastor led in, in my mm-hmm. eyes. And so people are like, Oh, really? And, um, it, you know, it's just so much about, uh, having shared passions, having a passion for Jesus and, you know, being able to tell people Jesus stories and have them, yeah. uh, grow in love as far as I'm concerned. So that's, I mean, you know, that's it. I, you know, that's it on all levels to me. Um, you know, whether you're in a traditional setting 
whether you're in a single charge, a multi-charge, uh, you know, you're just charged up or, you know, what, <laughs> what's going on. So, um, uh, I think that's really, that's really kind of the bottom line. Yeah. So let me, let me throw a theological question at you. Let me throw a, a boom level question. <clears throat> so then what's the value of, of an elder? Um, if like, if these ministries that are connecting people back to the church, which we know we need them to do, right. If these things are better being lay led, then like, why do we get theological education? What, like, what do we use elders for? Well, I think elders, uh, should and uh, can serve as a as a helpful mentor, you know, through Ooh. this process. So if you do have lay leaders, they're going to be like, uh, "What do I do now? What do I tell them now? What's next? And how does this play out?" You know, just like I did when I was starting up River of Life Ministry, I'm like, "Uh, what in the world am I supposed to do?" And so it's just to kind of serve in that role of of helping guide uh, how to to set up. Uh, a ministry um, for uh, for for laity, which you know may never have you know been able to or had the opportunity to set up a a ministry like that before, and so it can feel overwhelming. And in that overwhelming part of it is is that a lot of people go, "Well, I couldn't do that," you know. But if you've mm. got somebody that'll walk along with you and say, "Sure, you can. Here, here, let's do this together," and kind of get folks started, then, uh, they can do some pretty incredible things. Okay. I, I buy that. Do you ever do communion at the river? We do. Uh, we, uh, it's a lot more, I hate to say regimented here, uh, in our traditional setting. Like we do, we do communion the first Sunday of every month and, uh, out at the river, it's a little, I wouldn't say hit or miss, but uh, we don't do it as often. And it depends on uh, the setting and what's going on. So I like to tie it in with the, all the other stuff that's going on. Uh, mm. If it seems to fit with uh, the entirety of the service, then I absolutely will do it out at the river. Okay. People like, people enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of surprising. You wouldn't think. So. Well, at first I was a little nervous about it, and then when I started doing it, people were like, "This is great. We got to do communion at the river." I'm like, "Okay, cool." Huh? Yeah, I remember um, kind of like height of COVID. I had one congregant who like whenever we had communion, she like she needed it. Not need as in like desperate or anything, but like that to her was this like deep, profound connection. She yeah. grew up Catholic too, but like this was mm -hmm. where she met Jesus, right? Yeah. And so I remember like we had shut down services because of COVID, but it was like a really hot day in maybe May. And I did like drive through communion at the church and she was the only one to come by, I think. Huh. And I gave her like the little cuppy cup of Jesus. And it was just so important for her. Uh, yeah. But like, I, I also know like her background and like why that is for her. So it surprised me that like people who would be drawn to this ministry away from established church would also be drawn to communion. Yeah. I uh, honestly, I was a little surprised too. And, um, you know, in some discussions uh, around theology and, and in my own experience now, just that that mystery around 
communion and how God works through that. Um, that's one of the things um, that I have learned to offer people, even when you think that they're not going to do it, because a lot of times people you would never think would see God through communion or even want to take part in it just so deeply uh, feel God's present in that time. So it, it's been a, it's a learning experience for me, for sure. Hmm. Hmm. I love that. Um, I want to ask questions about your district work and your conference work as we kind of come around the last bend of the conversation. But I want to pause and see if Ethan has anything that has kind of stirred up as he's listened. This has all been really, really interesting. And I've been listening and have enjoyed it. But I do not have any questions at this time. <laughs> <laughs> it's a... Ethan's doing his PhD, so sometimes his responses are are like at a conference, you know, like I have more of a statement than a question. Anyway, um, so, okay, so as we think about uh, like one, thank you for sharing all this and like getting into into some of the details with it. So I know you do things with the District Vitality Committee or whatever that's named now um, in the Smoky yeah. Mountain District, and I know you do stuff with the conference. Can you kind of talk about what it's like to be involved at those more connectional levels and, and how you got started in that and how that fits into your ministry as an elder. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, the Methodist church is a connectional system. And so we try to support each other and come up with ways to help each other out. And so at the, at the district or a little bit more regional level, uh, it's great because you pretty much know all the pastors and being able to help uh, fulfill some of the needs or give them resources that they need so that it makes ministry better for them. It helps their churches grow better. Um, that's one of the things that I really appreciate being part of that vitality committee, uh, mm -hmm. vitality team, is because, um, you know, I just feel like that's it's something that's so needed because so many uh, pastors and churches out there just need a little bit of something to just kind of help them get through. These last couple of years have just been brutal yeah. on pastors, on churches and just everything. And so we're constantly trying to find ways to uh, give a little bit of a lift to the, the churches. And, and uh, that's true in the conference too. When I first started on the conference, vitality team it was a little bit more of a granting group hmm. and I, you know it's like somebody apply for a grant for this vitality whatever thing and so we'd just kind of go and we'd read this grant application and be like yeah sure why not <laughs> it, and that just it just did not spin my flywheel at all and so i uh I didn't participate nearly as much. And now the uh, the conference vitality team is way more in, uh, engaged with, with churches and trying to find ways to uh, to be in ministry with churches and help support those, those ministries and help build up churches that are really trying to make a difference. And so I've loved, uh, loved how our conference vitality team has, uh, has evolved over the last few years to uh, 
to serve in my eyes to serve the churches better. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. I also feel like I felt, um, that was a lot of feels in a row. Uh, I, like as I worked on the district vitality team, that was um, almost a community for me as a pastor. Yeah. Of like, these are my coworkers, and like I have an idea. Not only do I have my own churches to kind of care for and tend to, but I get this like bigger picture and and like connectionalism in the best way, right? Of like, these are my people, and we can be energized together around a goal. And yeah. That's what I, that's what I loved about it. But I also know that like you are resourcing churches, like you're doing things that are helping them and everybody needs it right now. For yeah. Sure. We had a, we had a fun little team, didn't we? Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, so what is, what is doing fresh expressions on the conference level look like? Are you helping people get started? Are you resourcing people? What is, what does that kind of entail? A little bit of all the above. Uh, there's actually a certif- fresh expression certification thing that I'm going through right now. Oh. So, somehow, uh, Luke Edwards talked me into so many things last year. <laughs> 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 and so, um, but basically, I, I just try to uh, serve as a resource for other folks that are trying to develop their own fresh expressions ministries. And, um, you know, or a sounding board, somebody may have an idea and Luke Edwards, who is the conference director will say, Hey, why don't you talk to Wayner about that? He's done this. And, and so he'll kind of send them my way or give them my phone number or whatever. And so uh, I just kind of help talk people through uh, different ways of, of doing ministry uh, from my own experiences. So uh, I, I, I enjoy that. Yeah. And like, also that's, that strikes me as the way to do it. You know, like you have somebody who has blazed this trail before and can help you get started too. Like, why would you not have this resource of people to connect people to? Yeah, exactly. And, um, so just, uh, trying to connect more people and there's still a lot of churches, a lot of pastors, a lot of laity out there that, that don't really get the whole fresh expressions thing. Um, churches of color tend to not be as involved in fresh expressions movements, even though um, I think uh, churches of color (laughs) have such great opportunities around that. And uh, so to other people, um, uh, the Bishop and and Luke and and, uh, other, other folks along those lines have, um, have made a big push this year for doing uh, for movements uh, to help develop uh, fresh expressions uh, in a more diverse context for other ministries. And to be perfectly honest, I sometimes I get a little bit nervous about my own fresh expression ministry. Like the River of Life is it's a cool thing, but it's super unique. Um, and if somebody's trying to look at that and build a model for their ministry out of it, they're like, uh, what? There's no way I could do something like that. And so I almost, almost feel like, um, the John, when he's talking, uh, you know, to somebody about Jesus he must increase and I must decrease. Right. And so I try, I try to (laughs) try to, 
help people understand the context of the river of life for its own context and its own uniqueness and that uh, they've got other opportunities for, for unique ministries too. So um, I do uh, nowadays try to downplay river of life just a little bit, um, mainly around that. And so I'm super excited about uh, being on a couple teams that are uh, trying to be a part of um, uh, fresh expressions that are developed by uh, ministries of color. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up because it does strike me that often because it comes out of the UK, Fresh Expressions is like a pretty white church thing. And it, <laughs> and it's aimed at congregations that are like, you know, older white congregations that are trying to get um, trying to get sections of the of the populace who might have other interests, but like also have the disposable income and the disposable time for for those interests. So, yeah, like that is a part of it. Um, and I also think I, and I can be completely wrong. We're going to have DeAndre on the podcast soon and he can correct us on all of this. Nice. He's the man. Yeah. And he knows his stuff. Um, I. It strikes me that um, black churches in particular are like these institutions and their community and everybody like the people who are still involved in the churches, because I mean, there's decrease across all sorts of um, uh, demographics in, in Christian church attendance. But it strikes me that like they have this established role that they're still really living into in many cases. And so the idea of starting something that's outside of that established role when like the role is already working, whereas like the white yeah. church has transitioned kind of already. Um, yeah. I, I would love, I would read papers on, um, on like race differences and fresh expressions. Cause I think you're, you're absolutely right with that. Uh, can you talk about any of the, the fresh expressions that are getting started or is that all somebody else's ministry that you don't want to, don't want to uh, break into the, the public eye? No, we're still uh, trying to get started on uh, on some of that. Um, one of the easiest things has been to uh, focus a little bit more on dinner churches in uh, the dinner church idea. Of course, the last couple of years has been hard to focus on dinner churches because yeah. that's <laughs> that's been uh, one of those things that you don't do, right? You don't sit down and take your mask off and hang out with other people. So, you know, it's it's definitely uh, been a challenge over the last couple of years to, uh, to launch dinner churches uh, specifically, even though some of our established dinner churches were able to kind of hang in there. And like our dinner church is doing a, a drive-through still, but... Um, wow. For folks that hadn't done, uh, who weren't already established to try to, there's just no way that they could, you know, set something up or it'd be like twice as hard anyway. So, so, so we're just getting back into the time of fresh, ex developing new ministries and develop, uh, developing new fresh expressions out there, you know, everything from dinner churches to even hiking churches kind of shut down during COVID, which you would think that, yeah, well, that's what I thought because you would think that hiking church would, churches would have just blown up because there are a lot more people get, kayaking 
Like you can't buy kayaks and bicycles hardly because everybody's sold out of them. Hmm. And, you know, there's so many people out hiking and at least around here, fly fishing, our area has blown up in the last couple of years as far as visitation. And so, um, you know, cause people want to get out in the outdoors and, uh, do something fun. And so, uh, you know, again, that, that's another thing. What, what are you doing that's fun and can you do it with other people and take Jesus along for the ride? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I think it's, again, it's this way of like reincorporating faith into places that we have, um, said you kind of need to leave your faith at the door, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's being able to yeah. like bring your full self into these activities and and kind of sanctify them in that way. Uh, yeah. And I think that's I think that's kind of a beautiful way to look at um, how we move through the world and then trying to think of how can, what can we offer as we are bringing our full selves to all of these, these situations? Yeah. Well, we are coming up at the hour. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Wainer, to talk about all this sort of stuff. I didn't even get to ask you about congregations for children. We didn't even mention that you're an Olympian. We just kind of, we jumped over so many things. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's a full life. That's for sure. <laughs> and a full <laughs> podcast. That's true. Yeah. Anything, do you have any parting wisdom you want to leave listeners with or anything that you want to circle back to before I let Ethan sign us off? Uh, the only thing I would say is if you've got a passion for Jesus and if, you, if you've got a passion for people and something else, then go for it. I think that that's, uh, you know, such a great opportunity and our culture is yearning for new ways to, to explore faith. And uh, I, I think that that's a, uh, something that everybody should uh should think about yeah yeah well thank you i think that's a a good place to leave it ethan will you sign us off yes i can friends thanks for listening this has been an episode of what the hell is a pastor we are ethan and joe and wayner and we will see you next time What the Hell is a Pastor is a part of the Disruptive Disciples podcast network. Our theme song is written by Joe Schoenwolf, performed by Joe Schoenwolf, Ian Uriola, and Paul Uriola, and produced by Paul Uriola. Email us at wtheckisapastor at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash disruptivedisciples, on Twitter at WTHIAP, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash WTHIAP, where you can get access to Pillow Talk, merch, signed cards, custom essays, and so much more. Thanks for listening, and follow your passion, friends. <laughs>